What's up, sober family? Welcome to I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye, the podcast for newly sober people learning to love ourselves instead of booze. Like, I just felt that my whole life was a waste up until I quit drinking, and that would make me really angry too. So then eventually gaining some perspective and seeing it as like, yeah, maybe those years did suck. However, it allowed it to get bad really quickly. So then you could stop and have way more of your life, like 60 years left to enjoy. On this episode, Al and I are thrilled to host Jillian Teets, AKA Sober Powered on Instagram. She hosts a top 50 podcast of the same name, and she founded a network called Sober Powered Media, which includes a variety of podcasts. She's a gifted speaker and mentor, but she wasn't always a business owner and public figure. And that's what we're going to hear more about in just a minute when she tells us her sober story. And we'll also hear about her newest upcoming venture into podcasting, which I, for one, am uh, just a little bit excited about. I'm your host, Dana Kroll. I'm a former army chaplain who developed a toxic relationship with alcohol after leaving the military. And I stayed on a roller coaster of rock bottoms, recoveries, and relapses until finally in the winter of 2022, I found my way out of the cycle by connecting with people like you. After kissing alcohol goodbye, my goal is to never go back, but I can't do it alone. So let's break up with booze together. And with me in the studio, as always, is Al K. Hallfree, my spirit animal for sobriety and my handsome co-host. Looking good as always, Al. Uh, And so I just want to say welcome, Jill. Thank you for taking time out of uh, what is a very busy schedule that you have as a small business owner and a sober podcast network creator. And uh, you're speaking at stuff across the country and doing your own pod. And I just tell us about your sober story and um, what's brought you to this place today. And thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you for the the lovely intro. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so I guess what brought me here is that I got really obsessed with sobriety. I don't know if you can identify with that, but I didn't expect it. I thought you just kind of quit drinking and then, you know, you did it and you move on and that's, you, you know, that's it. Yeah. But I got really, really obsessed with sobriety, thought about it 24 seven every day for years. And I had a lot of creative energy that I had never had before. So that's why I started making a ton of content, doing my podcast. That's probably one of the reasons you do yours is we just have all of this energy now and we want to help. Um, But I was not always creative and helpful. Um, Mostly I was just like looking out for alcohol. That was my main priority at all times. I would talk about it all the time. I would only want to hang out with people who wanted to drink with me. If you didn't want to binge drink, I would actually get mad. (laughs) I've had um, instances where I went out with friends and I thought that they wanted to party on like a random Tuesday (laughs) and they just wanted to have like one drink. And I was furious. I was so Mm. mad. I felt like they tricked me and they wasted my time. (laughs) So I was, yeah, it was bad. I was very alcohol focused um, right from when I first started drinking. So I didn't start drinking until 22. So I had a bit of a late start, but once I started, it was like, it was a thing already, which I now know the term is called telescoping. It's when you very quickly go through the spectrum. Like when you start out as just like dabbling in drinking and, you know, you have a drink here or there, you don't really know what you're doing. 
and then you go into like full-blown problem really, yeah. really fast. Yeah. So that was my experience. And by the end of that first year of drinking, I was already a daily drinker. I was still able to choose not to drink. Not that I ever really like wanted to <laughs> not drink, but I could still choose to like, oh, I want to have a mocktail today or I want to cut back or something. It would take a few years for that loss of control to really come in. Um, but it was a very quick descent, which I'm, I feel really fortunate for. There's some points in my life that I can identify as accelerators that really like set me down the path towards problematic drinking and having a problem. And even though all that stuff sucked and it was awful, it allowed it to get so bad that I could be shocked out of my denial at 29. Mm. So now I'm in my 30s. I have like my 30s, 40s, 50s and so on ahead of me. So when I look back on that, I do feel fortunate. But yeah, my 20s were basically just a big alcohol fueled mess. <laughs> and and tell me, I left out of your bio, like what it, what were you doing for a living? Because I think it's a fa that's a fascinating part of your transition to your current role as well. Yeah. So I actually started as a teacher first. So I was a teacher and I would drink to deal with stress okay. because alcohol helps you with your stress. Yeah. And because I had a lot of stress, because teaching is high stress, yeah. I drank every day. Um, that's initially why I became a daily drinker was to cope with stress. And then after maybe the first three quarters of the school year, in my first year of teaching, I noticed that my tolerance had doubled. And okay. that's when I was like, oh, you're drinking a lot of alcohol now. <laughs> like this feel blacking out on random Wednesdays and, and getting drunk every night, just that feels like it's a little bit too much. So I decided to cut back. Um, have you heard of the geographical cure? No. Okay. It's, I love it. I didn't do it, but I did something similar. But the geographical cure is when you think that where you live and like the oh. people around you, that's why you drink so much. Okay. So if you could just move, you wouldn't have to drink so much. Right. So that's what I did with teaching. Okay. So I thought it's teaching's fault. It's so stressful it's so many hours. If I only didn't have the stress, I wouldn't have to drink so much. And that's why I changed my career. So that's why I got into science. Um, all my degrees were in science, so it wasn't that hard of a switch. Mm -hmm. But yeah, then I started working in a lab as a biochemist. Um, spoiler alert, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't the cure. It did help though. It helped initially um, to have... I to have less stress. I was able to like take a lunch break for the first time in my life. Yeah. And I started going to therapy and I asked my therapist, like, how do you know if you're an alcoholic? I'm worried. How, how do I know if I am? So I started doing those kinds of things and getting curious. Um, but yeah, it didn't cure. It didn't cure the drinking at all. And then I would go on and I would blame like, if only I didn't have this boss or this coworker, like I was always finding some external reason for why I had to drink the way that I was drinking. So I kept trying to change my situation and I would change jobs frequently 
to try to like cure the stress that I had to drink over and nothing would work. Like no amount of change would help me moderate my drinking or get it back under control. Okay. And so what was it that changed that, um, that, so you, you said you had asked your therapist about it. Like, what was it? When, when did you really know for sure? And there was no longer any questioning. What was the point where you're like, oh crap, this is, this is out of control. The day that I quit, I didn't believe that it was a problem until the day that I quit wow. and I accepted it. I was trying all sorts of different things to learn to moderate. And the very last thing that I tried was a 90 day break. But I didn't do that break because I have a problem and I need to take a break. I did that because my tolerance is too high. Uh, I have a bad habit, like that kind of thing. Yeah. So I yeah. didn't I didn't fully accept that it was a problem until I quit and then accepted that I just can never do it ever again. Okay. Wow. Um that's so cool. I don't know that I've heard anyone share that that type of thing. It was like, well, then yeah, I knew. And then it was, it was done. Um, what do you think helped you in the first part of that? Um, cause I, I'm assuming you didn't do that alone or if you did, then you're my hero. <laughs> like, I, I mean, like that, what were some of the things that contributed to your success in, in making that quick of a decision and, or, you know, that, that quick of a transition, I guess. Yeah. So I was fortunate that it got really scary and then I could use that as motivation to never go back. I became really suicidal. And that's why I ultimately accepted I have a problem and stopped. Because when I did my 90-day challenge, I didn't feel suicidal anymore. Okay. And I realized like, wow, if I don't drink, I don't have to feel that way. Mm. And I still, you know, I convinced myself. I'm cured now. Yeah. I did 90 days. If I actually had a problem, I wouldn't have been able to do that. And I went back to drinking. And then seeing that the suicidal thoughts came back, mm. that was enough for me to accept like, that's the way you drink. Okay. It is what it is. That's it. So okay. I associated drinking alcohol again with dying. And okay. that was like the main reason that I never went back. And I've had those thoughts like, oh, maybe you weren't that bad. Maybe it'll be different this time. You've learned so much, like all those stupid thoughts. Sure. But I still believe that I will go right back to that place. And that's okay. what keeps me going. Um, okay. I'm really fortunate that I have a super supportive husband mm -hmm. who listens to me talk about sober stuff every day. <laughs> He's, he doesn't have a problem. He can have like half a drink and move on with his life. Like, yeah. and he just listens about sober stuff all the time. Like, especially the first year it yeah. was sober stuff all the time, all the time, <laughs> every day, all the time. <laughs> and then it was sober stuff and podcasting stuff. Yeah. And now it's like more podcasting stuff, but still sober stuff. So I'm really fortunate to have him. But then eventually I did start going to therapy. Okay. And that was that was what helped me the most because I didn't know how to deal with anything. And emotions felt really big for me. Yeah. And like unmanageable. Like something would happen and I'd get really overwhelmed. And I would just like think in my head, oh, what can I do to calm down? 
Oh. And that would be like, drink alcohol, don't eat or eat a lot, like any kind of self-destructive thing to calm yeah. down. So therapy helped me learn some actual tools because I had zero. Well, and this is a great dovetail into uh, or segue into what uh, we're going to talk about for the episode, which is emotional sobriety. And I have heard this term and I think I have this idea in my head of what I I think that means, but I want to hear what that means to you and how you, um, your emotional sobriety has gone hand in hand with your physical or, you know, not actual drinking sobriety and, and maybe teach us about that because I think it's such a, a fascinating subject. Yeah. I think emotional sobriety is really the key. I think you can stop drinking and, you know, it's depending on why you stopped and what happened at the end. Some it's easier for some people than others in the beginning, but if you don't work on your emotional sobriety, it's really easy to go back. And emotional sobriety is all about just being okay with how you feel and not having to change the way that you feel. Okay. Just you feel the way you feel. It is what it is. It's a lot of acceptance too. And before we would control our emotions with alcohol so yeah. that we could feel less of what we were feeling or none of it, or feel a different way or enhance the way that we were feeling. Like we're so used to controlling the way that we feel. Emotional sobriety is all about just, it is what it is. Because if you keep trying to control it, you're going to try to control it with something else. Yeah. How, how did you learn about this and how did you start to apply it in your own life? Did it come out of there, out of your therapy or is it something that you, cause I know you as a, as a scientist, you do a lot of researching and you say that digging deep into things is kind of in your nature. So is it a mix of that and just things that you've learned from your therapists and from others? A mix. Um, I don't think my therapist ever said that term to me, Okay. but a lot of our work was around emotional sobriety. I was one of the people that had like a huge pink cloud and I thought sobriety was like the best thing ever. Yeah. That's why I wanted to talk about it all the time. Yeah. And eventually I fell off the pink cloud and whatever, but I was someone who probably had a bit of an easier time in the beginning because of that pink cloud. And then when I fell off and came back to real life, I started getting triggered again. Yeah. And I would have things happen that would really upset me. And then I didn't know what to do. And I had all this anger come back mm. that would just hit me out of nowhere, really intense rage. And I didn't know why I felt that way. I judged myself for feeling that way, of course. And I didn't know how to feel better. So I'd just walk around with extreme anger like for days and it was making it really hard for me to function. And that's why I started digging into it and learning more about it. And then eventually through therapy, I was able to bring the intense anger down. I do still get really angry, <laughs> um, but it doesn't like blow up my day anymore. Okay. Tell me more about something that you said earlier that I thought was really interesting that you said you had a quick descent into through telescoping that you went quickly through the spectrum of drinking. And then you drank from age 22 to 29. And you talked about that quick descent as though it was a, or as the, that was a good thing. Or you said, you think that that actually was 
kind of a gift in that, or I forget what the exact term you used was. Would you tell me more about that? I thought that was so interesting. And what do you think, because it's not as common, um, you know, uh, Kayla Lyons is someone that comes to mind as another one who in kind of the, so I think of y'all as like the sober OGs of the, the Instagram sober community. And I'm super excited to interview her later in this season, but like you ladies being younger and um, I'm, feel like I'm, I'm not that old. I'm 42, but still like, I mean, to have, to have stopped drinking in your twenties, I think is a remarkable achievement and a great thing to happen. But could you tell me more about that quick descent and, and what do you think the advantages have been uh, in getting sober earlier in your life? Yeah, there were a few things that led to that. And one of them was my husband, even though like I'm, super grateful for him and all of that. He didn't think what I was doing was abnormal. Mm, Okay. So I never had to hide my drinking. I never had to hide my hangovers or my shame or he didn't see what I was like the, even the quantity. Mm. He didn't see it as abnormal because he grew up around heavy drinkers Okay. and he just thought that that's what adults did. So then seeing me do it, He didn't think anything of it. So having it be so normal in my personal life and in my home, that also led me to drink more and more often. And we would go get drunk at brunch on the weekends. Like it just made it very okay to just drink all the time. And the more you drink, the quicker you're going to have a situation about it. So I think things like that, um, just my inability to handle anything and how much I would escalate everything in my head. Like the world was always out to get me. Like everybody was, you know, doing bad things to me and hurting me and, and like poor me, all this stuff. And the way that I, my perspective and the way that I thought about things also led me to drink a lot. I drank alone a lot. Mm. And if you drink alone, it's so much more likely that you're going to develop a problem. I forget the actual number, but it at least like doubles your chance of having a problem. So yeah. I, I loved drinking alone. That was like my favorite thing to do. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it was the yeah. best. Yeah. So yeah, all of those things combined and then just like life circumstances, tough jobs, things like that led me to telescope really quickly. Um, And then when I got sober, one of my biggest struggles was I felt so mad that I had wasted so much time. Uh, Yeah. And I, I have trouble saying that because I know I quit drinking at 29 and there's a lot of people who quit drinking, you know, in their sixties or seventies and they might be listening being like, like, what are you talking about? I wasted so much time, like not you. Um, But that's the way that I felt in the beginning. I had just wasted like my whole life. I felt like my, my childhood wasn't good. My teenage years weren't good. I was, I was bullied like for eight years in school, Um, college, like very shy and weird from all the bullying. Like I just felt that my whole life was a waste up until I quit drinking and that would make me really angry too. Mm -hmm. Um, So then eventually gaining some perspective and seeing it as like, 
yeah, maybe those years did suck. However, it allowed it to get bad really quickly. So then you could stop and have way more of your life, like 60 years left to enjoy. Um, So that's kind of why I feel grateful for it, because I know a lot of people, they drink and they drink to cope. And it's like, it's kind of bad, but it's not horrible. So they keep going and then it gets like it slowly gets worse and it might take decades of that before they realize like, wow, this this is horrible. I have to quit. And I was just able to go through that much quicker. Yeah. And talk to me some more about in your transition out of drinking and especially into your current roles where you quit your job uh, earlier this year, I believe, to start your own business, which takes a lot of courage to do. And, um, you know, stopping drinking is a courageous thing in itself doing, and then taking that, that, that big step, uh, more recently. Um, but in the, in between there, um, I've heard you speak on other interviews about like your, your former coworkers or with the folks that you used to like run around with and how, how have you dealt with the public persona part of it as someone, because it it takes, it, it takes courage to kind of come out as come out sober or whatever we want to term it. And how have you dealt with those types of pressures? Because when I see you on stage or I hear you on your show, very confident and very, um, you know, it just seems like, Hey, here, I've, I've, I've got this together. I've researched this all so well and, and everything is so concise and so beautifully packaged and branded and everything else. I'm like, wow, this is a lady that's got her stuff together. But I know from listening to you also that it's not all, it's not all rainbows and, and glitter and unicorns and all that. So tell me, how have you dealt with some of the pressures of coming out and, and especially coming out so publicly um, to become a leader in the sober community? How have you dealt with those pressures? I kept it a big secret professionally for a long time because I just thought that I would be judged. Mm-hmm. And I thought, even if people didn't judge, I thought that they'd pity me. Mm which is worse. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather be judged. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I thought that I would get pity or I thought that people would like whisper and be like, Oh my God, did you hear like Jill's an alcoholic? Like, did you know? I didn't want any of that. Um, I had a couple people like find out and pity me and it was just ugh, like, yeah. ugh, don't talk yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, like the you're so strong. No, I'm not get out of here. So I wanted to avoid those kinds of comments. Yeah. And just have people treat me normal. Yeah. I also had this idea in my head that if I could just like get promoted, then if people found out like I wouldn't care because oh, okay. then I would be in like a well-respected position and like I would know that I was valued. So I was really attached to career success. And then after that, everyone can find out and it's fine. But I wanted to make sure that I was respected as a scientist mm-hmm. and an intellectual before they found that out. I okay. didn't want to be known as like, you know, Jill, the freaking drinker who blew up her life and now like post reels. And like, I didn't want them to know that first. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Um so tell me more about Sober Powered Media and what do you do now in addition to your own podcast, because you've created this network of some really great shows that I know is only going to probably get bigger as time goes on. And 
if I were not such a tiny little show, I would be applying to be a part of your network, <laughs> but I, I'll get there eventually. And maybe you'll see an application for me one day. Um, but I, just tell me, tell me more about that. And what was the, like, what was the, the genesis of that? Where did the idea come from? And, and uh, what have been some of the great things that have happened so far in your experience as a, a small business owner and a network and a connector, a, a network creator? So after my first year of podcasting, I had a pretty good groove going on. I had hit, like the beginning was real slow because no one knew who I was, nothing. But by the end of year one, I had hit the top 1% of podcasts. Um, So I felt like I had a lot of listeners, like people knew about my show. They liked it. (laughs) They kept coming back to listen to it, which is the most important part. And I started applying to speak at conferences to just share how I grew it from nothing. Because a lot of people share, but they already had like a ton of followers. And it's like, "Mm, you don't, you don't really know, like you could post whatever you want and they would like it. So I got rejected for a while. And then eventually I got accepted to like the biggest conference (laughs) and I was going to be on an actual stage. Yeah. With like slides behind me and this and the like clicker thing yeah. and a microphone. And then I got accepted to more. I was just applying to speak at everything because I figured like maybe one person will accept me. Mm-hmm. And then this year, everybody accepted me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I have way too many trips. Like yeah. this is this is a lot. And I started speaking. And that's when I started meeting people in the podcasting space and they encouraged me to start the network. Um, I met someone from megaphone, which is owned by Spotify. Spotify. Yeah. And she was like, you got to do this. Like nobody's doing this. I don't know why the sober community isn't working together, but you guys are all on your own. Um, you have the connections to do it. You have the reach to do it. And she wanted to help me get it started. And I thought like, no, (laughs) not like I'm just, I still believe like I was just some loser that like people happened to listen to and like think that I was smart, but eventually they would realize like I'm not. Mm. So I ghosted her and I came home and I went back to my usual job and my routine. And then I went to another conference and I met someone else in advertising and he knew the original person and he was like you why aren't you doing this yeah, like we yeah. can both help you and that's when i was like okay i'll do it if you get these two opportunities that like are not related to each other by random chance you just got to do it yeah um so i quit my job and i did it and it was so much stress yeah <laughs> But not yeah. not as bad stress as like the other stress was stress that beat down my self-worth. And this was just stress. Okay. So it was, even though it was very intense, it was different. It wasn't like negative stress. Um, but yeah, and that and I just did it and I asked my friends to join and they did. And then like I had a whole network. <laughs> it's so cool. And yeah, I I love what you shared there, like about the stress there, you know, there being the the soul crushing kind where you're putting it on yourself. And then there's other stuff that's just part of 
regular life. You said this in one of your recent um, episodes, the title is going to escape me, but you're like, there, there is in running a daily business or, you know, running a business day to day, there's going to be stress. And I just need to accept that, that, that this stress that I feel is, is okay. And it kind of goes along with what you're talking about with the emotional sobriety. Like it just, it, it is what it is. I don't have to compound this and make it worse and say like, why do I have this stress about my business? Well, you know, starting a business is going to include that. And I, that really spoke to me in your other show and has spoken to me again here as we've been talking. Um, tell me about what's next for you though, because that's what I'm excited to hear uh, more about this, this next podcast that you're planning to release soon. Yeah. So I have a lot of creative energy. As I said, I come up with endless crazy ideas and most of them I act on. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm still a bit impulsive. That's awesome. It's me yeah, too. I'm, um, <laughs> you're, preaching had, the, you're preaching the choir. Preach it, yeah, sister. I think Keep going. <laughs> I think it's something that we all have in common. We, yeah. We're very impulsive. We have a lot of creative energy. We're very excitable. Yeah. And then we just do all the things. Yeah. Um, but I, I've wanted to do this for a while. And I was like, I don't have the time, you know, whatever. And then I started seeing people talking about the strategies I shared in my presentations in their content. And they were crediting me. You know, they were yeah. referencing me, telling people to go look at my page to see what I'm talking about. But then I was like, this is going to get out there. And I'm not kind of controlling the spread. Yeah. And then I've had a lot of people, unfortunately, in the sober community, stealing my content like constantly. Yeah. It's been constant lately and it's very upsetting. And mm -hmm. I thought like I can control the way that this gets out if I get it out there. Yeah. And that's why I decided to start a business podcast because I'm on other business shows. I've been on a few. I've had people reach out to me like, how helpful those episodes are, but they can get like all of that if they hang out with me in a show. So yeah. I thought I would just like bring it all into one location and then just start a show and uh, maybe start a business network. Like who knows? I know how to do it. I just have to, your show has to be at a certain point Yeah. in like listener wise for it to work. Yeah. So I'm not going to immediately like have this second amazing network, but I can at least work towards it. Yeah. And the show's going to be called The Grind, right? Yep. Or is it just Grind? The Grind. The Grind. I'm making sure I had it right. Okay. Because I'm super, as soon as I saw it, like, I literally didn't see that until today. And I was like, how did I miss this? It's right there. Like when I searched you on, I think on Apple Podcasts and it brought up the second one. And I was like, oh, subscribe to that. Hell yeah. <laughs> like January. Totally. Like, I can't wait for that. Uh, just as a small business dude, you know, I, I don't know. I'm still, I don't know what I don't know. I I'm, I'm still learning as, as I go. And it's been uh, an adventure and I learned from anyone I can learn from. And I've already learned a lot from you, not just about topics that we've discussed here today, but also you, uh, there was a module or a course that you've done on post-acute withdrawal syndrome, which I had not heard of before. And so I've learned from you there. So I'm just going to encourage everybody to go and do the same thing that you just said. Like, I'm going to, Point every, you know, however many listeners I've got towards you. If you don't know uh, Jill Teets, then you need to get to know her because she uh, has so much to offer. But the last question I have for you 
is the same question I'm going to ask for all of my season three guests. And that is how do you show love to yourself? Cause this is the show for newly sober people who are learning to love ourselves instead of booze. And I just have found that self-love is probably the most difficult thing, but probably the most important thing that I've encountered so far in my first uh, eight or so months of sobriety. So how do you love yourself? You know, you're further on down the road than I am and that a lot of my listeners are going to be, but how do you, how do you love yourself day to day in the midst of all the, the chaos of all the things that you've got going on? And, and it sounds like it's organized chaos that you, and that you love it, but how do you show love to yourself in the midst of all that? Yeah. Self-love is so hard for me. Um, cause I came from a place of extreme self-hatred. Mm. So even just not hating myself, like even just being neutral was challenging. So self-love has always been like a topic that I, I felt like it evaded me. Mm-hmm. It felt like people who talked about it back when I was drinking, like they didn't understand, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. No one understands me. Yeah. Um, but I think now all I do is give myself a break. I'm so used to judging myself and putting myself down and and spiraling something will happen and then I'll make up all these stories about what it means or what people think and now I just give myself a break if you're really stressed and you want to play video games for eight hours it's fine you don't have to beat yourself up for not being productive so I think it's just not beating the crap out of myself anymore and just letting myself be is the best way that I do that okay it's such yeah that's uh something I'm, I'm working on too. It's with, hard uh, with mixed results. <laughs> some, days, <laughs> some days are better than others for sure. When it comes to, to cutting myself some slack, but um, I want to thank you again, Jill, for joining uh, me and for gracing us with your presence and for all that you do for the sober community, because it's a lot. And uh, you have a post as of this recording. That's like, here is a link to all of my free stuff. And you have all these free resources that you have given and just given for free, free content, free lessons learned. And yeah, you've got the things that people can subscribe to and they're phenomenal too. But just you, you have started from this place of, I'm just going to give. And, and you were saying, I think even on another show, um, you know, put the people first and then like, worry about, worry about the money later. Right. And that it'll, it'll work itself out. So thank you for, uh, from one aspiring podcaster to, uh, another one who's several step large steps ahead of where I'm at. Just thank you for what you've done for the sober community and that you've done for me and so many others. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye. Al and Jill and I send you our best sober vibes by saying goodbye alcohol and hello life. We will see you next time. Have a great one. Much love and peace.